post-high school canoe expedition in the heart of the Amazon basin reconnected Ellen Falterman with her adventurer brother, who was five years her senior. The harrowing trip lit a fire for expeditions that would lay dormant until his tragic death just a short time later. On the one-year anniversary of his passing, our guest put her life on pause in order to experience an adventure and grieve the loss of her hero by paddling solo down the Missouri River. The answers that she received on that trip, however, were to questions that she had not yet asked. Her pause turned to play and became her new normal as Ellen built her new life around expeditions. She tells these stories and more on this episode of the Athlinks podcast, paddling the Amazon, Missouri, and Mississippi rivers, and up next, a six-plus-year challenge to circumnavigate the globe in a sea-ready rowboat starting at the Gulf of Mexico and heading west. Happy doesn't begin to describe how I feel to have stumbled upon her story, and I am honored to bring a version of it to you today. I hope you enjoy meeting one of the most savage and admirable people I've met, and maybe her words will inspire your support in her journey to become the first person to circumnavigate the earth in a rowboat. So if you're ready for the show, crank it up and let's go. Welcome to the Athlinks Podcast. I am your host, Troy Busseau, coming to you from a frozen tundra. It is February 15th, and this is episode 32. There you go. You got the moves. <laughs> How are you doing, Ellen? I'm doing great. It's the day after Valentine's Day. It just snowed for the first time in a long time here in South Louisiana. It's a snow day. Does it ever snow there? Hardly ever, ever. Hardly like, ever. And the last time it snowed was six years ago. Wow. Well, that's good. Well, I feel very honored to be on, have you on, on, on both of our snow days. So I'm in Colorado. It's a little more common to snow here, but it is downright chilly here. It's, I woke up to negative nine this morning and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not happy about that. Okay. Well, I'm not complaining that much anymore. Yeah. Weather <laughs> is they, so relative. They did shut down the airport here because no one could operate in even a little bit of snow. They wow. Shut down. Is it like, would it, would would the conditions there be, would like, would you have shut down if you were in Colorado with those same conditions or is it just, you're just not prepared in Louisiana for those kinds of conditions? We're just not prepared. Yeah. This it's really not that bad over here. And okay. I have a brother in New York state and he's like, don't even talk to me about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I grew up in Phoenix and, and I remember like it would rain and a little bit of wind and, and the airport would get shut down. So it's, you know, Certainly, nobody knows how to drive in the rain in Arizona, too. So, it's and, and I'm how to fly in it, so I'm okay with it. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Well, on the podcast today, we have Ellen Falterman or Ellen Magellan, as you go by on your uh, on your blog and and your adventure life there. So, Ellen Falterman, you uh, came to my attention almost accidentally. We just had Ashley Winchester on the podcast on Saturday, and as part of my research in that. Um, I listened to one of her episodes of Women of the Wild in which you were featured, and I loved the conversation so much. I was like, I got to have her on and uh, expose the Athlinks world to this uh, amazing young lady. And so I uh, reached out, and you were kind enough to oblige, and here you are on the show. So welcome. Great. Thanks for, for having me. This, this is nice. And I, I like now started doing podcasts the last like three months since I got off the river, so it's still kind of new to me, but it's a really good conversation and i think it makes a good community cool yeah yeah it's it's been uh it was kind of one of those things where i wasn't doing podcasts one day and then literally the next day kind of jumped in with both feet and i never expected to be so 
just taken and enthralled by the conversations that I've had so far. So again, like your episode 32, and it feels like I've talked to a thousand people in the last few months and, and just every single conversation it's, it's uh, one, it, it makes me feel smaller and smaller <laughs> every time I, every time I talk to somebody, it's like, holy smokes. Kind of like, like when you look at the stars, you feel small. Like Very that much. Of- Very much. Yeah. I mean, there's, there are some people out there like yourself who are just doing such amazing things. And it's so, it's so cool to share in the, in the conversation in helping to spread the word. And hopefully, you know, we'll talk a little bit about um, your big upcoming adventure and, and how, uh, how the Athlinks community can help in any way, uh, you know, launch that adventure. So yeah, let's, uh, let's dive right in with both feet. Like I always do. Like you've always do. Yeah. I think every, every article or podcast that I've, I've, I've seen with you or read with you in it, it's kind of like a, it's a very common thing. I mean, even going back to, I would assume was your first big adventure was with your brother, um, uh, kayaking or yeah, I guess canoeing the Amazon at what, 18, 19 years old, 17, 18. Yep. Yeah. That's, that was, uh, you know, I was just doing what he said. <laughs> that's crazy that is crazy so um we'll we'll jump to that in in just a minute so you grew up in a pretty rural lifestyle in texas central texas yes sir in east texas actually Uh, tiny woods uh just a really rural okay so like did you go to pretty small schools and and very small town type of life was everybody like you in in that regard like just living a very I don't know, um, adventurous, uh, kind of life. Um, like the people that I grew up with, yeah. like, like, yeah, I mean, it's just small town. Uh, I mean there where I grew up, people hunted and fished and rode horses and, you know, did a lot of outdoor stuff just cause it's a rural area. Yeah. But as far as like doing long-term expeditions, no, no. Right. right. That you- was, did you stand out in that regard? Do you think like, did you have a little something or did, was it just like you and your friends would do these camping trips or, or whatever? No, I never um, went camping with my friends. We uh, went camping in the woods with my brothers sometimes. Okay. But like all this stuff that I'm doing now is, it's not like I, you know, did a lot of it when I was younger. I just grew up in a rural area. So it's yeah. not like a big city and, and that. That wasn't that shock, but what I'm doing now just kind of started because that's what my brother was doing. Uh, he, he, he took off and started hitchhiking in South America for like six years and he just wandered around and just was that guy. Like, I mean, like people are looking at me and, and being like, wow, of all the things I do, but he was the real deal. He, you know, he didn't have any sponsors or wasn't doing it for any cause. He was just like, just took off and just did it and was that person. Yeah. Um, and so that was a big influence on me because I got to go travel with him. Yeah. How much older was he? He was five years older than me. Five years older. Yeah. So it was a really good, you know, that I got to bond with him as adults because when you're growing up, five years is a big difference. Huge difference. Right. Yeah. So I bond with him as an adult and he got to show me the ropes kind of in a way and, and how to live that lifestyle and how to find places to sleep and mm. how to get food and, and travel and, and like camping above the water where there's no land, like all that stuff he taught me. And then, uh, I'm sure, you know, he, he died in 2016. You've been read my yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, 
So after that happened, I wanted to apply what I had learned when I was with him. And, and I wanted to kind of like reconnect with what he had found out on the water mm. and, and grieve, you know, and, yeah. and go through the grieving process. And that led me to the Missouri river and the rest is history. Wow. Once I did River and I. <laughs> it's so funny. The rest is history. There's a whole lot of history going on. <laughs> yeah, it's like I didn't intend on doing, you yeah. know, I, I just not like I woke <clears> up one day. I want to be a professional adventurer. It was like I woke up one day and I was like, I'm going to do one trip to yeah. grief and then I'm going to go back to my normal life and I'm going to be magically healed from grief and everything's going to be okay, right? That's how grief works. Is that kind of <laughs> how you were thinking about it at the time? Yeah, that's yeah. what I was. That was my plan. I was I was gonna go off and do something for three or four months and come back into my normal life and move on with my world. Nothing happened, obviously. Yeah. But you know, I I like to say when I finished the Missouri River, I had found no answers to any of the questions I had, but I had answers to questions I didn't know I had. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. What um was Let's go back to your brother for a second and just kind of how this whole adventure, I guess, life started. Was he, um, like, were your parents supportive of, of him going out into the world? Was it just sort of like just the next step in, in the evolution of life? Was it like, how did they look at it? I mean, the way my parents see it is after you turn 18, their job is done. Yeah. You know, really can't stop you right. from doing whatever. And I mean, you, you couldn't stop him. He was gone. Yeah. It's not like he had a choice. It's not, you know, they, they could either choose to be supportive and love him no matter what, or they could choose to estrange him and miss out on all the adventures, sure. you know? So the, the decision is obvious there. You're just going to support him the best you can from afar. And, you know, and then uh, I think it was good because he kind of broke him in pretty good. <laughs> so when I, <laughs> they were like, ah, oh, geez, yeah. not again, but, and I'm also the only girl. So, yeah. You know, it's a little bit different. So they, so he was still in touch with the family, obviously, while he was on his uh, uh, hitchhiking adventures through South America. Well, in touch in very loose sense of the term. Yeah. Like uh, he did a lot of writing, uh, as I do as well. And like he would write something, and we'd be like, "Patrick posted something. He's alive," you yeah. know. And then you'd be reading the stories, and you're like, "How did he?" live through this story like he's got to have survived because he's writing it wow but you're reading it and you're like oh my gosh how did he make it out of this and you just kind of get updates sporadically when he had internet you go to internet cafe wow and and he did that was like six years of kind of not really knowing like if you didn't hear from him for a few weeks you're like is is he okay or is he just in a place without internet And so from afar, like, how are you feeling about his life? Is it, are, is there any part of you that is like, that is what I want to do? Or are you just kind of like, that's cool. And, and like, I could go join him for a weekend, but man, that's crazy. I could never go do that. I think, I think more, I, I, I definitely didn't think that I would be out doing the things that I'm doing. Like I, I saw it, I noticed it and it wasn't until that I went with him and traveled for a few. And when I traveled with him that first trip, like it sucked sometimes. Yeah. Like it was my first time doing anything like that. And I'm, you know, I remember paddling in the Amazon and it rained like every single day and yeah. I was wet, tired and we were eating like off the land, like monkeys and parrots. And it was rough. It, like I didn't enjoy a lot of it, but I did enjoy, it just wasn't comfortable at first. Yeah. 
And then it became more comfortable. And then we were hitchhiking for a while. And I remember writing in my journal, I was like, I'm tired of living out of a backpack. I don't want to do this anymore. You know, it, so I didn't feel drawn to it at first, but I think after he died that, and I went and did it myself and I found some kind of peace out there. That's what really solidified for me and became, became something that I became passionate about really sort of that revelation. Yeah. So you sort of saw finally what he saw in it. It wasn't like for him, obviously this is just a much deeper thing than I'm going to go on this adventure. It was just such a, um, I don't know, like it's like, that's where his soul connected was out on these, these adventures. Well, for Patrick, it was a lifestyle. It wasn't like he was going on an expedition. He's like, that's how he lived. That was what he just alive. He was just, was that dude. Um, now it, for me, it has become a lifestyle also, but I call them expeditions. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'll go home and I'll home, you know, I'll go to a house or some sort of building and I'll work until I have enough money. And then I leave on an expedition and I've been doing that five times now. Wow. That is awesome. Yeah. And so now I'm just, I'm ready to just bite the bullet and, and leave for a long time. Yeah. So rural Texas, obviously you're, you're used to growing up around, you know, what rattlesnakes and brown recluse spiders and things like that. Like you're used to sort of being out in this, but like I hear Amazon and I think piranhas and crocs and I don't know, pygmies with like dart guns and drug lords (laughs) and all these other things. Like where is your, in your head, are you thinking, well, my brother's doing it. So it must be somewhat safe. Or like, was there any part of you that was like, there's no way I'm going to the Amazon. Um, I, I trusted him completely. Wow, that's awesome. And looking back on it now, having done trips myself solo, I look back on what we did in the Amazon and I was like, that was insane. We didn't have cell phone. We didn't have spot tracker. We had no rescue button, no EPIRB, nothing to call for help. And when we, when we actually really deep, we almost died out there because the canoe got swamped <clears throat> and we lost all our gear and all our food. It was a whole thing. We didn't have anything. We just had to, you know, looking back on it now, I was like, that's insane. But I just trusted that he would take care of me. How much, how much of that, like that surviving that has given you, um, did it give you more confidence or did it give you more, um, like awareness, I guess? Um, cause it sounds like even now I was reading some of your, um, uh, I think there was a Q and a with like the Missouri river paddlers group or something. And you like, on one hand, you are very much, um, you know, seat of my pants. I like, I don't like to plan too far out, but at the same time, it does seem like you're very, um, mindful of when, when not to approach danger, I guess, you know, there's a fine line. Um, you have to be take enough planning to be safe and smart, but I find that people, and when they do like an expedition, I'm not talking about the ocean because it's kind of a different amount of planning, but yeah. when you're doing small, like a river or a, a hike or something, I feel like people get really caught up in the planning and they get so caught up in the planning that they decide not to do it. Or they get so caught up in the planning that they don't enjoy it when they do do it. Mm. So there's a line there where you have to plan enough to be safe and, you know, have enough food and stuff, but you don't need to plan every single river bend. You don't need to plan every single campsite and, or every single person you're going to meet. There, 
you have to just find what works for you and and enjoy the trip. You know, like I had a book, the Missouri uh, River Paddler book, The Complete Paddler. That's what it's called by Dave Miller. And it's like a whole guidebook of the Missouri River. And I didn't read it before I left, but I read it as I went. Yeah. And I, and more importantly, I would read it after each resupply. So I would resupply and okay. then I would read where's the next resupply. Okay. So and, are you reading you know, like two, three days ahead kind of thing about? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like I would know enough to know where the next town, where I could get food was and, and kind of generally what, what kind of river conditions to expect. Like the Missouri has lots of dams and reservoirs. So I would read enough ahead to be like, oh, there's a giant lake coming up. That's good to know. Yeah. You know, but yeah. I'm not going to find, I'm, I don't know where I'm going to camp tonight. Don't right. ask me. I won't know until like an hour before sundown. That's awesome. Find a place. All right, we'll jump back to that. I want to go back to the Amazon for a minute. Um, oh. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but because um, <laughs> this is just, I mean, this is just, again, like a crazy, how big is, like at its widest, I know, like I'm, I'm always shocked when I see certain pictures of the Mississippi. You don't realize like how wide a river can be. How does the Amazon compare to like the Mississippi? Well, I actually wasn't on the Amazon. Okay, you were just in the tributaries? I was in the basin. The largest tributary of the Amazon is Rio Negro. Um, and it confluences at a town called Manaus. Okay. And up the Rio Negro, and then we paddled on a series of smaller and smaller tributaries to get to where we were going was the Serra da Aracá, which is a plateau in northern Brazil slash southern Venezuela. Okay. <laughs> It's called El Dorado. It's got like waterfalls coming off of it. There's supposed to be buried treasure there. There's rumors that people got taken there to get murdered. Like all the, all this like real, you know, stuff you see in movies. Wow. We were like, let's go there. And you can't get there by helicopter. Brazilian government doesn't allow any aircraft there. You can only get there by boat. Okay. And there's like, a you have to get smaller and smaller tributaries and it gets to a point where there's a lot of fallen down trees over these tributaries. And so you have to portage and get your boat through the, the trees and everything. And, uh, that's where I was. So I wasn't on okay. like on river. I was on like, like Amazon basin tributary okay. flooded forest, like miles and miles of flooded forest. Wow. Wow. So it kind of looks like Louisiana a little bit. I was looking at some pictures yep. and I mean, it's just like swampy. Uh-huh. And when I moved to South Louisiana, I was like, oh, this reminds me of Amazon. Like, you know, that where you can just kind of disappear in the flooded forests and get lost, which is where I learned how to camp above the water with no land. Yeah. So yeah. what happened with um with you and your brother? You're you um like I was reading, you were basically doing dishes and it's the water's knee high, and then all of a sudden by the time you're done doing dishes, you're waist high. And you didn't quite read the tea leaves correctly, and you're like, all right, let's go. <laughs> and uh, a couple minutes later, you were not in a good position. Yeah, yeah, that's basically what happened. So we were so close to the Sayadaka at that point that any rainfall that happens on the plateau is going to come instantly down that tiny tributary and make a flash flood condition. Um, so, uh, yeah, we were like, time to hit the water. And like I said, there's a lot of fallen down trees over the tiny tributary. So at one point we went, there was a tree that we could fit underneath it. On one side, it was like falling at an angle. And we went underneath the tree and then we kind of like just stopped paddling for one second and the current took the bow of the canoe and pushed it broadside against oh. the tree. And then of course, once you're broadside, the water's going to come over the side like super quick. So the canoe just sunk right underneath the tree. We both hopped on top of it. And then I jumped directly back in the water because I saw the dry bag with my passport in it floating uh -oh. away. Yeah. And I 
And I was like, I got to get home. So I grabbed my passport bag, jumped back in the water. It was like freezing cold water. But Patrick had the foresight to grab, you know, the boat, maybe. And he grabbed the boat. And I actually later learned that while I was being swept downstream, he was being swept under the the boat uh, cord had wrapped around his middle and pulled him under. And he had a big gash around his middle. And we met up later downstream. and. And the canoe was stuck under the water. We didn't have any gear. It was, we slept on like leaves. We took off all their clothes because we were hypothermic because the water was free. Like I said, it was just looking back on it now. I'm like, oh my gosh, like what? Yeah. My parents let me do that. (laughs) Like, like, I mean, they didn't know if they just trusted Patrick as I did. And, and he, he did take care. We figured it out. We got the boat floating. We went into the jungle and cut down poles. We had a hatchet that was tied underneath the seat. So we had poles. We pulled our way downstream. It was like three days downstream with no food. How long, first did, how long did it take for the water to recede enough to where you could get the boat back floating? Um, we flipped like early or late morning, okay, like around ten thirty, and then we got the boat floating like around four, like just before dark. We got okay. the boat. Got it. Yeah. Because it's flash flood, so if it's going to go up quick, it's going to come down quick yeah. too. Where but, was your head? Like, would, did, were you thinking I'm going to die? Did you think Patrick was going to die? Were you? Um, do you remember like that, or did it just happen so damn fast? It was just like get my passport and get to land. I mean, I, I think it just comes down to I just had so much trust in Patrick. I just had because he had been doing this for like six years. I just absolute faith that like. Whatever he said, I would do. And if he said, you know, grab that bag, I was going to grab it. If he said, let go of that bag, I was going to let go of it. Yeah. And I just, I just, I never for a moment at the time thought that we were going to die. But after we got out that situation, we were back in Manaus. He was like, yeah, that could have been really, really bad. (laughs) He didn't tell me while we were in the situation. He probably just wanted to scare me. Yeah. Yeah. So he kept a really cool head. And so... I did. And I didn't realize until later how horrible it could have been. Well, you, you know? see that a lot in children too, where, you know, when, when a parent can maintain that calm, you know, the kids are usually going to be pretty okay. It's when the parent starts freaking out is when things get really scary. Right. Right. And he's five years older than me. So yeah. it was very big brother, little sister situation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I read a quote you put in there by, I guess it was from your brother, but he um, ran into West Hanson. And uh, they were like, how are, you, how are you navigating this? He's like, it's a river. If you're going against the current, you're going the wrong way. Seems pretty simple. <laughs> you know? can only go one way. <laughs> Which is funny. I actually thought of that incident when I was on the Mississippi and I got lost. Oh, jeez. Wandering around these wetlands. And I was like, this is the largest river in North America. And I lost it. And how- I thought... I thought about that. I was like, just follow the current. Like, how do you get lost? But it, I just, I was rowing and I looked up and I was in these wetlands and I don't know how it happened. It's like I got teleported off oh, wow. the wetlands. And actually the funny thing about that day, I don't know if it's on topic or off topic, but uh, go, where, go where it takes you. <laughs> I, I had told my other brother, David, my middle brother. And before I left for the trip, he told me uh, that while I was on the river, he was going to turn older than Patrick. Okay. And 
would now be you know, my oldest brother. And I was like, well, I'll call you on that day. Like he did the math and did it down to the exact day. I said, well, I'm going to call you on the river, you know, and on that day, you'll be my oldest brother then. And I completely forgot about calling him, you know, I'm in river mode and I just, whatever. But that day I got lost and I wandered around the wetlands for like three hours and I was so frustrated and I kept seeing the same tree over and over. And I was just like, and I had no service to see my map. Like I couldn't see the blue dot on the map. So I just, just, and so I had the idea, I said, well, I'll hit my spot tracker. And then I'll call my brother David and have him tell me where that pin is. Okay. And vector me out of the wetlands. So that's what I did. And I called him and we ha- and he showed, told me how to get out of the wetlands. And it wasn't until the next day that I realized that that was the day I was supposed to call him anyway. Oh, bam. Fate. Right. It really was. So there's a reason I got lost in that wetlands that day because the river said I need to call my brother. Wow. That reminds us a lot of uh, getting you on the podcast today. We were having some technical difficulties and I felt, uh, I felt like, it, like walking your blue dot in from the wetlands at times. But um, <laughs> yes. that, that had to have been unbelievably frustrating. Are you like, was it, I mean, I guess you're just in like these swampy areas. Do you have to go back out like upstream essentially to get back on? Um, I, I still don't even know what happened. Know. You know, like I said, it felt like I got teleported. There was something I needed to be, I needed to be off the river because I needed to make that phone call. And it was, it was just like this little back, like a small piece came off the river into this yeah. big wet area. And I just must've zoned out and took that exit and looked up and I didn't know where I was. That's crazy. <laughs> and then when I did find the, I mean, it was pretty big river at that point. It wasn't like a Creek. Yeah. So, I possibly have lost this river, but it happens for a reason. I'm telling you, telling you. There, I used to believe in coincidences, but I don't anymore. After traveling on the rivers, there are no coincidences now. Uh, that's interesting. So you you go. Um, so let's talk about your brother a little bit. So um, how many years after the Amazon trip did your uh, brother pass away? Um, let's see. We did the Amazon in 2013, and then he died in 2016. Okay, so three years later, were you in? In, I mean, obviously that trip must have brought you guys pretty closely together. Were you, did you stay in more contact after the fact or was it still, um, like, did he kind of come home or back into the fray a little bit more? Um, he did end up coming home actually, cause he wanted to learn how to fly. Okay. Um, so he came home and he was, he was living in Texas actually for like a year and we finally had him back after traveling for so long and, and we kind of, we all got to reconnect with him. Um, so that was really good. And I actually went on a bicycle tour, uh, a four month bicycle tour in Europe. And when I came back from that trip, Patrick was talking to me and he was like, you know, what, where did you stay? What did, you know, what, what kind of, what kind of trip was this basically? And I was like, dude, we did exactly what we did in Brazil. <laughs> like we just stayed at, you know, underneath bridges and, you know, on the sides of rivers and in the roadside forest. and and he, he, I think he kind of had like a proud brother moment there, uh, but later he died. Uh, kind of, I, I, I got to tell him that I learned from him, you know, and awesome. show, show him that. Yeah. He, he, did that feel natural to you, that style of camping, or would you have preferred the, like, did you feel, I don't know, pressure is the wrong word, but like that there was a, there was like a Falterman, uh, family credo now that that's just the way that, that, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, not not adventures, but um, expeditions or, or whatever would would work. 
Yeah, I think that Patrick was an influence. You know, he and my other brother, David, my middle brother, he actually ended up hitchhiking in Germany for three months because of my brother, Patrick. So he was just a, a bad influence on both of us. <laughs> 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 or a good influence, depending on how you want to see it. And now there's no other way to do it. Yeah. And I actually... Um, I was really glad that I got to do this. Um, last summer, I took my brother David from Kansas City to St. Louis, 400 miles down the Missouri River. It was a three-week trip, and I got to show him, you know, like how to find campsites on the river and how to, you know, just do everything, make a camp and move every day and pack up your boat and where yeah. to leave your All the things, I got to show him my life the same way that my brother Patrick showed me his life. Yeah. And then, and then now my brother David, he just very recently, like three weeks ago, he called me. He was all excited. He's like, yeah, I went, I went and I bought like a whole bunch of camping gear. Uh, I'm looking at a boat right now. He's, he's like, he, I converted him. That he's, is awesome. He's going he's gonna to go do, you know, stuff now. Was, and he, that's good. was he totally yeah. receptive? Like when you were on the, did he take your direction well? Like, but did he, or did he kind of, uh, I was, uh, I think I was talking to Ashley about this, but like the men's ability to take direction from women oftentimes is a little stunted. So, um, <laughs> well, I mean, my brother David is, he's only two years older than me. Mm-hmm. And since he was in an environment that he wasn't super familiar with on the Missouri river is very yeah. big, especially down in Kansas city. Um, he did take direction. Uh, and actually there was a point where he almost died on that trip Wow! on the Missouri river. I did not expect that at all. We were exploring a, a shoot um, like, you know, it comes off the main channel. Okay. And, uh, there was a dike across the chute and it made uh, like a four foot waterfall. Mm. And I had no idea. And we just, we just, it was just us two and we we're coming along. And all of a sudden there's a waterfall and I could row upstream. I was in my rowing rig and the oars, I can go upstream, no problem. But he was single blade with a giant plastic canoe and he went over that waterfall and he rolled and rolled and he went underwater for several minutes at a time. And like, it was bad. It, it could, and, and actually later on, people were like, you went down that chute. People have died down there. And I'm like, thanks for telling me now. Whoa. <laughs> like it was really bad. And at, how, you know, how do you get out of that? Like, how did he get out of it? But what do you, what are the, is well, there like a standard thing that you're supposed to be doing there? Uh, wear a life jacket. Wear a life jacket. Was he? <laughs> life jacket saved his life. Okay. No life jacket saved his life in that scenario so he just rolled around in the waterfall until it spat him out him and his boat he was probably in there for like almost two minutes whoa it was bad and i couldn't do anything i was helpless could you see him or was he I, below the below the fall and i ended up so there was wing dike that came from either side of the bank and then there was like a small small gap in the middle like mm. three or four feet where there was and the water was like rushing through that gap really and then on the other side it was like roaring waves and so i just took a deep breath and shot the gap and then circled back around to get david and i was thinking later on i was like man as i was shooting that gap i could have thrown a rope or something mm. but i was too busy trying also not to capsize because yeah. i could doing that going down the middle it was rough wow. it was a, a rough situation and i actually and i had a lot of time to think about that trip because i kept going after kansas city for four months and i was like that was a really good full circle because five years ago you know my brother showed me the river and we almost died and then five years later i showed my other brother the river and he almost dies and but the river didn't take us yeah it just showed us and i that just again nothing happens randomly like there's a reason it just it all came together very nicely 
Do you do you suspect that that or maybe he told you, but did David like have a sense of safety because you were there? Like he just started, I'm gonna trust that like um, Ellen's here, I'm gonna be okay. You have to ask him. <laughs> but after <laughs> we got out of the waterfall and, and I actually I I was telling him, you know, like grab onto your boat, just hold onto your boat. I got the gear, I'll meet you downstream. And we did, and I and I grabbed his bag of dry clothes and I gave him dry clothes, and he did kind of like listen to what I had to, cause I was a more experienced person in that situation. It was my fault that we went over the waterfall. Like it was my captain's decision to go down that chute. Got it. So yeah, he, he was very receptive to it. And now I'm like really proud of him that he's got a boat now and he's got all his camping gear and he's got an expedition planned and like it awesome. didn't, it didn't scare him. In fact, it did the opposite. That is awesome. One of my, one of the first podcasts that we did was with a guy, Brian Hoover, very similar, um, some of the stories that he told and why he did it. And he's a guy, he's a chrono track timer, so he times events. And um, he lives out of a van and he just loves that lifestyle so much. And it's funny because he always, seems like every few months, he's got to like issue this post on Facebook. Like, I'm fine, stop. Like he has all of his like family and friends reaching. Hey, man, do you need help? Like, you know, I can lend you some. And he's like, this is the life I'm choosing, you know, mm -hmm. like I'm not homeless. Please stop. You know, I appreciate it. I love that you, you know, you're caring about me and, and for me and stuff. But he just, this is not a guy that you would expect to see on like these big adventures, you know, and like he is a self-professed, like he says, you know, I'm a fat guy on the river. And, but he just, man, I mean, he floated the whole Mississippi river, like lived this amazing life, very similarly, like didn't do a ton of planning enough mm -hmm. to sort of stay safe, but like just listening to this guy's conversations and, and just the stories that he had to tell was awesome. I think we suffer out there. We're not suffering. Yeah. I suffer more here in society. <laughs> wow. I mean, I eat well, I get 10 hours of exercise every day. I get plenty of vitamin D. Yeah. And like that i'm not suffering out there i, I don't need it i mean i i'll take help be like I'll, yeah. i will need like hey i need some drinking water yeah. be nice up my jug but like i'm that's my home i'm not a thing ashley um i think it was like an instagram story or something she posted yesterday i think it said um ultras are like eating a whole bag of oreos it's really good until it's not <laughs> that was pretty uh, like yeah I've, I've certainly had that that feeling is are these big expeditions like especially when you make this big commitment because it's i mean even like running leadville 100 huge undertaking 100 mile you know run but you're done in 24 hours like there there isn't a whole lot of time the amount of ebbs and flows that you know i've talked to people about that you'll go on in a go through on a 24 hour run like when you're on for four months and you are out there in the elements, like, is it like that is, or uh, everybody I know is going to be different, but for you, like, where is your head out in, are you going through all of those different ebbs and flows or are you just kind of like, like are the highs more, they have to be more common than the lows, I guess, or you wouldn't do it. Um, I mean, the way I see it. And one of the reasons that I go out and I do these trips is because, you know, you're going to be experiencing highs and lows in your life, no matter what you're doing, I, I feel like. And I might as well go out and be doing something where I'm in like a really healthy environment and experience highs and lows out there. And that way, the, at least when I'm low, I'm surrounded by the river and the birds 
And when I'm high, I'm surrounded by the rivers and the birds. Yeah. Make, I don't know. It just, it's just easier to deal with, but you're going to experience highs and lows no matter what you do. That's just life. Yeah. You know, one gets happy and sad at certain times. And I, I just, um, I was going somewhere with that. Well, it uh, seems, it seems so natural well, in listening to you and then in listening to you talk, describe Patrick, like it doesn't seem like you're, it, it almost seems when you're sitting here in this cabin that, that you're in talking to me almost feels like the, the not normal, you know what I mean? Like you're, the expedition is the normal. It's, you know, it's like, Hey, you choose to live this life. I'm choosing this life, but it's not even, it doesn't even sound like you're choosing the life. It sounds like the life has chosen you. It is, it just happened. Okay. You know, it, like I, like I said at the beginning of this interview, like I, I didn't wake up one day and decide to be a professional adventure. I woke up one day and decided to do one trip. And then, then I follow, I just kept following the water. Yeah. One water led me to the next piece of water, which led me to the next, which led me to the ocean. And I'm just following it. Like yeah. it's just happens and it is home now. And, de- and I definitely felt that way last year. Uh, you know, that was my fifth expedition and I've been on the water for four and a half months. And I very much felt like that was home. Yeah. That, I wasn't going home. Like, wow. I was but I was going home. I was literally going yeah, home. Yeah, literally. Yeah. Wow, but that's interesting that where you're like this the 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 respite is going home but the life is the is the is the river. Right. Yeah, that it, is amazing. And I still feel that way. Unfortunately, I still feel like the canoe is my home and I'm like living in society and feeling like the canoe is my home and it's very disorienting. I haven't quite transition but that's okay like i don't mind I'll, yeah. I'll, it, it gives me more incentive to be on the next trip and like and get the the big boat with yeah. the cat actually li- literally have a place where i could sleep is that is that basically so is that the um is that the the beacon that calls you home is just money and funding and 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 that type of thing yeah actually yeah, yeah. yeah. i come back because we have we're, we're in society and we have this thing that we have to do and 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 make money and to to fund these we can't just like buy food at the store for free you know yeah. like I'm, but it's good it's a good reset and it's good to come back and i mean it's not like i hate i'm not like oh society sucks and no one should ever do it there are good things about it but it's it's not where i feel the most comfortable at yeah. home yeah and everything i do here on land is just to be on the water again and I'll, I'll take day trips. Like I'm training for the, the 340. So I'm like, I take yeah. day trips, you know, and everything I do is just, when, when can I go out in the water again? <laughs> there's, a, my, there's a t-shirt you know. in there somewhere. Like everything I do on the land is to get back in the water or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe someone will get a tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're not a, um, like when I think about the logistics of these things, I think about, um, and again, going back to my conversation with Brian and the amount of water that he'd have to hoof, you know, that he'd, like get a ride into some town or whatever to a convenient, even if it's a mile or two, I mean, you know, water is not light, you know, they right. don't, they don't sell powdered water as far as I'm, I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really funny. <laughs> so like how, you know, when you're, um, when you're having to hoof, you know, I, I, like how much, what's the most amount of water you would ever, um, have to like, 
let's just talk about the logistics a little bit, just the the boring stuff, but just like getting enough food, getting enough water. It, are you finding it on the river itself or are you having to, to hoof, you know, a mile or two at a time or are you hitchhiking? How are you doing that? Uh, it just depends. Sometimes yeah. uh, you can find a river angel that'll give you a ride into town, but then you have to leave your boat, which I never like to do. Yeah. Um, sometimes you could find a Dollar General like right off the water and you know leave your boat under a bridge. You're gonna have to leave your boat at some point. Yeah. Um, you just have to find find stores and 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 then with water, I mean, you could get water from any building really. Like yeah. I, I'm really good eye for spigots when I'm going by and I'm eyeballing a house. I'm like, ooh, there's a good spigot. I, I'll always knock on the door. I okay. don't like go steal someone's water, yeah. but I've been to just like walk up to someone's door and, and knock on their door with my jug and be like, hey, can I use your hose and just fill this up? And usually what they end up doing is they're like, yes, and here's some food. Like, yeah. are you, okay? you know, like people yeah. just help uh, most of the time. Uh, you, you, just, you just have to have enough food at, at whatever Dollar General or, you know, it's usually going to be a dollar store is what it ends up being and have enough water to get you to the next door. Yeah. And Do you find most of the people that live on the rivers are used to this type of thing? They're kind of uh, like not maybe half expecting it, but when you show up and you're knocking at the door, they're like, yeah, grab the hose and here's on the Mississippi. I found that people were a little bit more like, okay, I know what you're doing because there's like 80 to a hundred people a year that do the Mississippi river. Mm -hmm. Very, it's like eight to 10 people a year. That's it. Yeah. The Missouri is well known, even though it's longer and uh, less populated more isolated it's 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 actually i found it was actually physically harder river um yeah so on on the missouri people were a little bit more like where did you come from what are you doing but on the mississippi they're like oh yeah people threw paddle here all the time you know which is also cool because it makes a little community and you're like oh they're oh i helped so and so who who paddled and you kind of heard about them and you're like oh okay and it, it makes a community the river family, that's what I call them. That's awesome. Are you, like, um, sleeping-wise, are you, I think um, Brian was saying it was a lot of, like, sandbars and things like that. Are you, do you try to sleep closer or farther away from people and civilization? Like, do you pull up on someone's backyard, or where do you end up sleeping? As far away from people as possible. Okay. Pe- people are my my biggest help and my biggest fear. Yeah. Um, I'd rather deal with animals any day than than a, a person, a wild person. Um, like there are some through paddlers who will sleep at every single park and every single boat ramp, they'll sleep there. And I stay as far away from yeah. road access possible, far away from any sort of trail. I mean, and I don't know if that's a woman thing, you know, I, I, I just like, <laughs> let's put it this way is when I go paddle around here, row around here in South Louisiana in the marsh, I get a lot of people in motorboats come by and look at me, you know, I'm just by myself in a canoe in the middle of the swamp. And they're like, you know, there's gators out here. And I say, not to be rude, but I'm in more danger of being yeah. harmed by than I am by a gator. Like I need to stay far away from people. And I do. And I disappear. And so I'll find, yeah, sandbars, islands are great because you can't drive up on an island. Um, I like to sleep above the water where there's no dry land and just my boat beneath me because then I'm not on anyone's property technically. Mm. I'm I'm just I'm just in in the water. I'm just in my boat. Okay. And so how does that work? Do you just tie the boat down and then you're you're just sleeping in the boat? I sleep in my hammock above the boat. Above the boat. Okay. 
find, find two trees that are in flooded and then you put your boat beneath them and then you tie your hammock above it. Oh, nice. God, that's got to be just unbelievably restful, peaceful sleep. Um, it is, except sometimes you hear, like, f- for some reason, the water f- sounds a lot closer when you're laying in the hammock. Like, the water sounds like it's two inches away from you, even though you know it's, like, four feet away. Yeah. And every little, you're like, it sounds like it's right there. And you're like, was that, was that something I should be? And, like, uh, when I was camping uh, above the water on the intracoastal waterway, the dolphins would come and, like, breathe. They'd be like, Whoa. Like, I'm like in the middle of the wetlands and I just heard a breath. Like wow. there's, there's a, something that breathes oxygen nearby. <laughs> Very disconcerting. <laughs> wow. Wow. That is awesome though. I mean, that's got to just completely, I, you know, um, I don't know, like sleeping in a bed. Do you find yourself um, like is sleeping indoors difficult for you after you've been on these big, big adventures? I sleep better outside. Yeah, do you? Okay. Definitely. Uh, there's something about the, it's like the body clock thing. Mm-hmm. Like I, I read a story about a Missouri river paddler who decided to paddle the river because he was having a really hard time with the sleep schedule and it was like causing him health, health issues. And so he's like, but when I go camping, I'm fine. So he's like, I'm just a really long camp trip and try to like fix this problem. And I, I like, I feel that when I'm camping, I have, I sleep really hard and I wake up exactly when the birds start singing. I go to bed when the sun goes down. It's just like a, a really good, healthy schedule. Whereas in a house, it's just my body's not sure what's going on. Wow. That's great. I think Rich Roll sleeps outside now. Like his wife sleeps indoors and he just goes out and sleeps, sleeps in his backyard. And I don't know if he's in a tent or what he is, but uh, I guess yeah. whatever works. Sleep is it's, pretty damn important. With whatever you know, whatever whatever you're comfortable with, and whatever maybe maybe if I stayed in society a little bit longer, I'd want to sleep in a bed. But I and I and I do now because I, I have I can't just sleep. I I have to be a person in society. I have to like take a shower and go to work. You know. <laughs> Again, there's a line. Yeah. So would you? I mean, I guess would in an ideal situation. Um, I mean, short of having like a seaweed Etsy store or something that you just have fulfillment going out of, but like in an ideal world, are you like fully sponsored pro, you know, you have all the funding that you would ever need and, and you just basically could go do these expeditions nonstop without any, without any breaks or do you, is there a part of you that sort of needs a break from the expedition? It's a good question. Um, Right now, I'm focused on the big, like, six-year trip. Mm-hmm. I think I'm very much feeling like I want to be on expedition for a very long time yeah. and not back and not come back to work and not come back. Like, I, I think last summer was, like, the turning point for me where I realized the rivers were ending. I mean, the rivers aren't ending. I always go back on the right. river, but... I. I just felt like it was coming, this chapter of my life was coming to a close. And I had, I had two options. I could let that chapter end and, and find a life in society and do that. Or I could keep going. Yeah. And I, I keep following the water and I decided to keep going. Yeah. So I was, um, I was listening to the podcast, the women of the wild that you were on and I was on the treadmill at the gym and I laughed out loud when you were describing how you came up with this plan to row around 
the world, which started as this like very um, modest, I guess, you know, you're like, well, and I'll have you describe it, but it was like, well, you know, I'll, I'll, um, I'll do a loop around the Gulf of Mexico. And then, well, since I'm already there, you know, then it's like just a hop, skip and a jump to Central America. And then there, well, there's Panama canals right there. <laughs> and I'm just like each step that you go through this, and, you know, and then I'm, I'm in the Pacific ocean. And then it's like, Australia is like right in front of you. <laughs> I'm just like, what? Wait a second. That's not, wait, what? And you just like kept this logical chain in your mind was just like, yeah. And then you just like loop it all together and you're done. It's a slippery slope, right? <laughs> My God. I mean, I, I get it, you know, at a very small level, you know, five K's turn into hundred mile runs and all that stuff. But like, that is, um, it was just awesome. It was super cool to like hear how your brain worked on that. And having gone from like, as you said, you know, you start with this trip on the Amazon, you know, you do a tandem bike ride from, um, was it? Paris to Greece? England to Greece. England to Greece. You know, but these are all like things that I think all of us can sort of um, picture in our minds. You know, good adventures, big adventures, but like things that we, they're sort of terrestrial, like we can wrap our brains around them. And then you do the Missouri and then the Missouri Mississippi. And then all of a sudden these things just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and like your, I don't know if your appetite, your frame of reference, your uh, faith in yourself, the, I, I don't know what it is, but like, I, I was just so like super humbled by it. Like, and just like, holy shit, this man, Ellen is just a super badass. or I don't know what I was feeling, but I was literally laughing out loud hearing you plan this thing out in your brain. It was awesome. <laughs> Thank you. I think it just got to a point where I got really comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. And it just got more and more. I was like, I, I'm this out here is, is good. And out here I want more. And yeah. Yeah, it, it yeah, just <laughs> I had a lot of time to think about it coming down the river and it just I just put it together. I never, you know, I when I was uh you know, I'm young now, but when I was even younger and I was like 18, 17 trying to decide what I want to do with my life, I would like research successful people and see like, well, how did they get to what they're doing and like what was their path? And like I was trying to be an actor at one point, so I would like look at famous actors and be yeah. like, well, where did they start? Where did, you know, what did they do? And I always found that like it was always a process. They never they never just like woke up one day and were in the, the biggest hottest movie in Hollywood. Right. Like started doing this and then they started doing this and this and this and this. And then I look at me now and I think, well, if if anyone's just now meeting me, they're gonna be like, Wow, that's just so that that big trip is just so out of left field like how, how did you get to this point and then you zoom out and you're like oh it, it's been a process it's right. been like a five-year process that i've just slowly been working my way up it didn't just like come out of nowhere right yeah so it, like i i'm looking at my own story now and being like okay this is hopefully a success story yeah i kept going Something tells me it'll, it's going to be a success. So let's talk about it. So you're, um, I mean, I sort of laid the groundwork here. I think we let the cat out of the bag. But the, the so describe this next adventure um, or expedition, rather, that you're going to be going on. Um, so it's going to be around the world in a rowboat, uh, no sail and no motor, just oars um, in a row, uh, an ocean rowboat, a rowboat that's made for the ocean, okay. not just like a boat. Um, it's got a, a cabin, it's self-riding, it's got water purification, AIS, GPS, navigation, you know, it, all the stuff that I need to, basically, if you take a sailboat and take the sail off and put oars on, okay, but it is. How long is it? 
Uh, 23 feet. Oh, wow. That's a good-sized boat. And then how wide? Um, Man, I have the specifications. It's uh, like five feet wide. Okay. Like if I laid down sideways on it, my, I, I, my feet would go over the edge. Um, and then when I leave fully equipped with all the food to cross an ocean, it's going to weigh about two tons. Whoa. Holy smokes. Okay. And yeah. so what's the route? Um, so I want to leave from actually here, <laughs> right? I'm actually looking right now at the Bayou Teche. Okay. The Bayou Teche is in South Louisiana and it's where the Acadians, the Cajun people, um, came, uh, upstream on the Bayou Teche and settled here. Um, and so since my family's from here, I want to leave from the Bayou Teche because I'm, it's all, I'm all about connecting the water. You're, you're always, yeah, you've always got these little sub stories going on. <laughs> yeah, I'm just tying it together. And so this water in the Bayou Teche is going to the ocean. All the water in the ocean was once in rivers. So I want to leave from river. Okay. Be in the Gulf of Mexico and then go south to the Panama Canal and, and all the circumnavigation. Well, all the ones that I've been reading, circumnavigations of the world, people do westerly circumnavigations because all the trade winds go west on the equator. Okay. And then once you, get, once you get down to like the 40, 40 degrees, they start getting easterly. Okay. So if you're doing a circumnavigation roughly following the equator, you should be going west for the trade winds. <clears throat> so I'm like, okay, I need to go west. So I'll go through the Panama Canal because I don't want to go all the way around South yeah. America. I mean, there's got to be You're a going line. far enough. <laughs> I'm going far enough. So I'll go through the canal and then cross the Pacific. That'll be the biggest crossing is the Pacific and land in French Polynesia and make my way to Australia and then cross the Indian. The Indian, I have a feeling just in my gut, I have a feeling that's going to be one of the hardest ones. Just wise, you're getting, I'm getting farther away from the equator. So the weather is getting trickier. Just the, I have a feeling the Indian's going to be kind of a, a, very big learning stage for me, at, even, even after the Pacific. Yeah. And then I'll go around South Africa because I want to avoid the Suez Canal because there's pirates. Oh, okay. Really, my biggest reason for avoiding the Suez Canal is just politics and okay. pirates. I'm a woman traveling alone. Yeah. So, through S- South Africa instead. And actually, a, a lot of the circumnavigations that happen nowadays by sailboat, there's like a race, sailboat race, they okay. circumnavigate. They'll take the South Africa route. Isn't that, so is it a Cape, uh, is it Cape? Cape of Good Hope is that? Yeah, Cape, Cape Horn. Cape Horn, yeah. Isn't yeah. that uh, that? Those are some dicey waters, no? Yeah, that's because you're getting down to forty degrees okay. latitude, and once you get to forty, they call it the Roaring Forties. You start getting the easterly winds, uh, and they're they're conflicting with the westerly winds, and so that's why South Africa is so dangerous because you have those convergence of those two winds. Got it. Um, so that's going to be a rough patch there. But by then, I'll have like three years of experience. Yeah. So, and is it, can you just time it the right time of year where you just have a bet, at least a better chance of, is it kind of seasonal? Yeah. It's all about timing. Okay. And, and I'm in a human powered boat, so I can literally only row so fast. So if the current or the wind is coming at me, anything above like three or four knots, yeah, I just literally won't be able to fight it. Okay. Um, so it's all about timing and, and I'm going to have like a weather router. Weather router is going to be huge. Mm for my success because weather router is going to be like, Hey, there's a big eddy that just formed ocean eddy that just pop up. If you go, if you row like 30 degrees South today, you're going to avoid that eddy. Okay. But if I had a router, I would just run right into it and be like, Oh, why am I going zero knots? Wow. Random. So the weather router is going to be huge to get me through that stuff. So South Africa and then across the Atlantic 
um, just straight northwest from Cape Town. There's uh, actually from Cape Town to Brazil is a pretty common ocean rowing route. There's a guy doing it right now. Um, and he's almost to Brazil. So land in Brazil, and there's going to be a nice full circle there in the Amazon area. Damn. And back through the Caribbean and back to the Gulf of Mexico and back to the Bayou Tesh. Like that. Snap. Boom. Done. Like that. Just like that. <laughs> so you said three years roughly to get to, um, to South Africa, right? Is that what you said? Is that about halfway? Yeah. For and really, a lot of the reason that the trip was going to take so long is because there's going to be times where I have to stay in one spot because there's a storm season and I have to wait for the storm season to be over. Okay, so and I don't plan on like leaving my boat and coming back to the United States, like right. I'm just gonna, yeah, until- that seems like it'd be even tougher, like to I don't know, to start life and stop life, and you never know, yeah. never and know that- life what life throws at you, yeah. That boat's my home. Like, yeah. uh, where am I? Where am I going to leave to? You know, if I came to the states, I'd just be like staying at friends' houses or at my parents' house. Like, I don't have a home like that. Why am I leaving my boat? That's my home. So yeah. I'll just stay. I mean, the only reason I would come home if, is if there was some sort of like visa, customs, immigration issue, um, or maybe like a medical issue, like something that like I okay. have to. So how? So if this thing took you like, um, let's say six years, kind of, it sounds like best case would be about six years. Had okay. If weather wasn't an issue, if money wasn't an issue, um, like what's the, what's the actual rowing time in a perfect situation? Um, well, let's see, the route is around 35,000 miles and I'm planning on making like around average of 20 miles a day. You're going to make and, me do math. Is that 700 uh, yeah. days? I'm using my phone right now for this interview, so you're gonna have to. Okay. T- so, what'd you say? Thirty-five thousand miles. Thirty-five thousand miles. Divide that by say twenty. Okay. Okay. So yeah, like seventeen. Wait, seventeen fifty. Is that right? Did I do that right? Thirty-five thousand divided by twenty. Yeah, seventeen fifty. So divided by three sixty-five. So almost five years. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, some days I'm gonna make forty miles, and some days I'll make negative ten. Sure. Not really sure quite of my average mile is going to be. So, yeah, but that's crazy. And, and no one's ever done this before. No. No one's ever rode circumnavigating the globe. No. People have rowed across individual oceans and people right. have rowed all the oceans. But usually, when people do a circumnavigation by rowboat, when they get to land, they'll take a, a land like bicycle or, yeah. or something. Or something, and then they'll pick up their boat on the other side of the landmass. Yeah, where I'm going to follow the coastline. I'm never going to get out the boat. So, what would it take for you to fail at this? A million different things. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably not what sponsors want to hear, but that's the reality of it. Yeah, you know, if you go into it th- thinking that you're invincible, you're delusional. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I can, I think of all the things that could happen. Uh, I think medical is actually one of the biggest ones. Okay, you know something medical happens and and if something medical does happen and I can recover from it, I'm going to go right back where I left off and keep. Yeah. I guess that's kind of what I mean. It's like, I mean, even if the boat were to sink and you survive, like, could you, it's, would it be still be the same expedition with a new boat? Are there any kind of weird rules around those types of things? No, I'm not following any rules either. (laughs) So let's go with that all the way. But I mean, I'm, I, I, I would be very surprised, actually, if I did the whole trip in the same boat. Okay. Oh, interesting. 
going to be, I feel like there's going to be a time where that boat's going to get trashed and I'm going to like almost die and have to deploy my life raft. And it's going to be like a big thing. But as long as I'm still living yeah, and I can like walk and talk and breathe, I'm going to keep trying. Yeah. When do, keep- when do you start? Do you know yet? Do you, is it just a matter of funding? Um, if, uh, yeah, funding is a big issue. If I get all the funding and everything goes right, I should leave in about 14 months. Okay. Like the springtime of next year, 2022. Is is that the right time to go? Is that why like you're sort of pinpointing that or is it just, do you think that's how long it'll take you to get the money and everything Uh, put together? Yeah. The hurricane seasons. Okay. The Gulf coast and trying to leave not during hurricane season. Uh, and then also I have to coordinate my timing to Panama because I want to make sure when I get to Panama, it's a good time to leave to cross the Pacific. Got it. How long does it take you to get through the Panama Canal? Um, I'm guessing on about four months because actually the mileage isn't that much, but there I'm going to be working with crosswinds the whole way. And so um, my average mileage, like crossing the Pacific is going to be much more than hacking my way South to Panama just because of the winds. Wow. So I have to look at the wind sort of adjust my average daily mileage with the wind situation. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like I, I mean, this is all such a wow. Such a, it's just amazing to me that, that you're doing these things, but then I, you know, like, as you said, you're getting 10 hours. Well, I don't know how many, at least 10 hours of, of act of activity a day, you know, you're doing like, I mean, when you break it down to its essence, it's not that crazy. You know, it's like, if you were, uh, I mean, if you were working construction, you know, this is basically like the life you're leading, you know, you've, you're doing 10 hours of hard labor a day, then you're resting and recovering. And, you know, like it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I don't want to diminish it by any stretch. This is freaking awesome. Like I love talking about this, but. Thank you for putting it like that. That helps me actually. Um, because you know, that's very much what I feel when I've been doing the other trips and people are like, wow, you know, you did the whole river. And it's like, you can't look at it like you did the whole river. And what you have to look at it is, you know, wow, I, I basically, <laughs> one day I was cooking dinner and I was putting away my stove and I was like, wow, I put this stove away and taken it apart and put it away and taken it apart and put it away a whole bunch of times. And now people are looking at me like I did something exceptional. <clears throat> yeah. All I did was take, take my camp apart and put it back together and, yeah. and wrote. I just did it over and over. And you just have to isolate. I mean, anything that you do, you have to isolate it down into days and yeah. hours. You know, not, nothing is going to happen overnight. If you're going to do something incredible, you, it, it's a process. It's not yeah. like, like, like kind of like um, how I thought that I was going to be healed from my grief, you know, in three months, you know, but no, it's a process. Yeah. And you're going to take it day by day. And each day is going to change. And over time, it will create a big change. I mean, that's how, that's how we change as people. We go to sleep and we marinate in all those memories. And then we wake up the next day and we're slightly different. We're not that much different, but we're slightly different. And then when you add that up over time, you've changed. Yeah, you look back and you're a totally different person. You are no longer the aspiring actor. Uh, or maybe you still are, but you've got all this other adventure and expedition and miles in between. Can you, can you imagine, like, is that still maybe something in, in your future? Like, do you, is that still even a bug that, or an itch you're trying to scratch? I mean, I've got plenty of time to think about yeah. it on those. I mean, know, talk maybe. about like the experiences you can draw from, you know, by the time this, this whole 
By the time I get back from the ocean, I, I don't know if I'll have the girl next door face anymore that I was typecasted for. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be all like weathered. And oh, they'll, come on. They'll, they'll typecast me as, as something else. <laughs> I don't funny. know. But it's an adventure, but whatever. I'll have, I'm just kind of seeing where it leads me. And I was talking to uh, another person I did a podcast with, actually, and we still stay in touch. And he was like, you know, once you get back, like this is you're going to make a career out of this. Like you can do, you know, motivational speaking, and you can go around and like make a thing out of it. And I was like, or I could just go back to work and be a flight instructor still. You know, yeah. I I, there's so many different ways I could take when I get back, and I'm just going to see where it leads me. I'll see, you know, write a book about it, but I'm not, I'm not doing it for some kind of like. I don't know how to describe, like, I'm not doing it for attention. I'm not doing it to be famous. I'm not doing it for really much, but because I feel like it's my path. Yeah. No, and it doesn't, I mean, you know, look, the world is certainly Instagram is full of people. Um, I mean, to a certain extent, you know, this is part of my job and and all of that. And so there's a certain part of my own adventures in life and all that stuff that is all business related and business focused. but. I don't think anybody sets out on a six to eight year circumnavigation via paddle boat around the globe for like, you know, Instagram followers. Maybe they do, but I can't imagine there's easier ways for you to, to get Instagram followers, you know, like that's just. Yeah. Yeah. It, I'm just kind of doing it because it, and lately actually I have been feeling a little bit uncomfortable with the amount of attention that I've been, cause I've been having to, you know, promote it and I, yeah. and I read website and I, you know, actually feel kind of guilty cause I don't post as much on social media as I should, um, because people donated to my cause and I want to thank them by giving them something to follow. And that's, that's why I do the writing so mm-hmm. people can read the writing. But I have been lately, like the last, since I opened the nonprofit to donors in January, so I have been feeling a little uncomfortable with all the intention, like a yeah. little bit like, I don't know. <laughs> well, look, your, your obligation is to start and do your best to finish. That's, that's your obligation. You know, yeah. I mean, that's, that's it. Like uh, the, the, those of, those of us and, and those people who will go and, and contribute to your cause, like we'll be patient in, uh, in your. <laughs> right. It, there'll be plenty of stuff I'll send from the sea. Uh, yeah, it, it, I, I, um, another thought that I had when I opened the nonprofit and starting to get donations and it was like all like official all of a sudden I was like, wow, this is, you know, it's not just affecting me now it's affecting other people was that that's what I needed. Like now that other people are on board, it, it's like, it just ramped it up so much. And now I'm rowing, not just for me, but I'm rowing for all the people who are like, wow that's that's amazing and you just like it's inspired me to go take my kayak out and it's inspired me to take my bike to the grocery store and like my brother david now he has a canoe because of me and you know like that's the kind of stuff that keep me knowing that other people are enriching and improving their lives because something that i'm doing like i was coming down the mississippi river and someone messaged me and they're like yeah i i did i like you know, went for a jog or, you know, just something pretty basic or, or I know it was, they stopped at a coffee shop they'd never stopped at before. Mm. And they just like, I just wanted 
you know, I was thinking about Ellen. I was like, if Ellen can row down the Mississippi River, I can go to a coffee shop that I've never and try to just just a little stuff, little yeah. stuff experience. And that's that's where it's at. That's where, what keeps me going. That's awesome. Honestly. Yeah. Well, it's like to to steal your line. That's your you drew a big circle around that second D because I learned the three D's from you. So what, <laughs> what, tell us about the three D's because I actually we were uh, I was on a long run the other day with a buddy of mine and we were talking about the three D's and I I, I stole your line. So um, oh, okay, and what's funny about the three D's is I'm working on a presentation right now for a venture summit. Do you know a venture summit? I do. Uh, I got invited to be a speaker in April, and I'm working on my presentations can be virtual. So it's kind of weird, but still, um, and I was going to do the three D's. And now that I was like making a presentation about it, I was like, I should probably reach out to the person that told me about the three, (laughs) (laughs) like make sure that I'm like, you know, like not stepping all over her ideas. And so my friend is Janet Moreland and she did the three longest rivers in North America. That was her thing. One woman, three rivers. And I must have misunderstood her explanation of the three D's because the way that I described it was a little bit differently than what she described it. Oh, (laughs) But the way I describe it was, so you have the desire to, and this is just what you need to do to do not just an expedition, but to do anything major in your life. Yeah. have the desire and a lot of people have the desire you know i've always wanted to do that i've always thought about doing that i've always you know felt drawn to that a lot of people have that and then you have you make the decision and the decision is the one actually that people are lacking um, because you have to make the decision in your heart like you have to make the decision and go okay from this moment onward everything that i do is going to be to make this happen it has to become like an obsession like every way, I've, every day I'm going to do something to make it happen. I have made the decision to do it. Yeah. And then the last D is the details. Because I believe that if you have the desire and you've made the decision, the details are going to figure it out. Yeah. Because the, the desire and the decision are going to fuel the details. But the problem is, is that people, in my opinion, will go desire details. 100%. So they'll go, okay, I, I've always wanted to do that. And then they start thinking about what they have to do to make that happen. And they're like, eh, sounds like a lot. I don't know if that, eh, eh, no, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. But then you made the decision and then you're like, oh, I've already made the decision. No. Okay. How do I surmount this problem? Okay. How do I, how do I fix this? How do I make this work? Cause you've made the decision. It doesn't matter what the details are. Yeah. My own words planning for this giant trip, right? Maybe I should have thought about it a little bit more. But I did I did enough research to like see that it was possible. You know, I was like, oh, people row across oceans. If people row across oceans, I'm people. Like, what am I not people? So people <laughs> I can do it. Why, yeah. why not? And if people can row across one ocean, then why can't one person row across all of them? And you know, like I made sure it wasn't I'm I'm not asking pigs to fly. That's about the most details that I'll figure out before I make the decision. But anyway, I was talking to Janet Moreland about the three D's and she's like, I actually, I go, um, desire details decision. And I was like, Ooh, uh, um, that's not what I do. Well, now you don't need her permission because I like yours better. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, you know, she's a, she's an older woman and we actually talked about that since I'm so youthful, I said, well, actually my approach seems like more of a youthful approach mm. where I'm like, it just kind of like head headlong, go into it. We'll figure out the details. You just got to make the decision in your heart. You know, it's very, and since she's older, she's like, well, I, I kind of stop mm. and figure 
out things. And, and she doesn't plan the whole details. She's like, I plan enough details to see that it's possible. And then I make the decision. Well, so I, maybe so different. I mean, I will tell you, like it, it personally inspired me. So I've been on, I've, I've wanted to do an ultra for a very, very long time. And I have this weird, um, like kinetic chain on my left side. I have really bad IT band and plantar fasciitis on the, only on the left side. And I've been able to overcome it at times and not other times. And I've been super fit, super strong, um, super fast for me. Um, but, and it still bites me in the ass at about 12 miles constantly. Mm. And I was listening to, um, to that podcast and the 3Ds. And I don't remember exactly how you said it, but it was basically what you just said in terms of once you've made the decision then the details is how to overcome that. And so I signed up for a 50. I've I'd registered for Silver Rush up in Leadville, and I figured, well, I'm going to do the training. I'm going to do the strength work. If my IT band keeps flaring up, I'll walk more. I'll do the whatever PT. Like, I'll solve the problem. And so the big, the third D, the detail for me is that IT band issue. But whereas I had always been sort of waiting, like, once I solve the IT band issue, I'm going to go and do the thing that I really want to do. And I kind of just flipped it based on your misinterpretation of the 3Ds, which I love. That's even better now. So I just like, screw it. I'm, I'm signing up. I did like a, I did a 23 mile run, which I was like, okay, I'm basically halfway there. I'm registering and then I'll solve the other problem. Well, the last half mile of that 23 miles was excruciating, uh, but I'll figure it out. I'll, 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 you, you, you weren't cursing my name on that last mile. No way. No, I was, it was, uh, you know, it's kind of, um, I don't know, like I'll paraphrase you from earlier, but it's like the, the worst day running is still pretty damn good, you know? Right. Still. So whatever your adventure, your expedition is for me, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's running. And I've, I've had this sort of like running wanderlust my whole life where I've wanted to run, you know, I've paced at Leadville. I've done the heavy half. I've done different things like that, but my body just always breaks down too soon. And so I just like, I, it, I don't know. It just gave me the, the permission. permission. Yeah. That's a great, I was just about to say that the permission to just sort of say like, let's solve this last piece. Like if that's, if I've got the desire, I've got the fitness, I've got everything else sort of in place. There's just something wrong with my, my body that I will, I will be able to solve it, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it was like, all right. So I'll, uh, when I, yeah. I like <laughs> no, it's, it was all you. That's, uh, it really was inspiring. And it was funny because, um, and I talked to um, Ashley about this when I was listening on the podcast and we didn't get into it today, but like just some of the, uh, the logistics of how to, you know, go to the bathroom and how to, you know, do your, um, you know, the, the female side of things when you're out on the river and, and all of that stuff. And, and I felt like there was a moment when I was listening to that podcast where it was really cool. I have a daughter, um, you know, I have a wife. And so like, I very comfortable talking about these things. And I love the fact that like, you know, there are these conversations for maybe women who, I don't know, don't come from open families where they can talk about these things. And so I loved, I loved what I was hearing. And then all of a sudden I felt almost like a voyeur, like, am I supposed to be listening to this conversation? You know? And then like, God, would Ellen be as comfortable talking about this if she knew that other guys were listening? And I had this weird, like, I don't know, uh, very old fashioned uh, chain of thoughts go through my mind. And then I figured, no, nah, I'm sure she's, I mean, she's dealt with much worse than having some 50 year old dude overhear some embarrassing conversation. So 
listening to ladies' bathrooms. Is this what they talk about? Yeah. <laughs> I did have to warn my dad when he listened to that podcast because he gets uncomfortable about that. I'm like, Dad, there's going to be a part. You're just going to have to stick with me. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that bad. I mean, and again, it's like when I talked to Ashley about it is, you know, my daughter, she's 14 now and and she just has this like some of the conversations that I hear her and her girlfriends and, and her boyfriends talking about it just like um, I think it, like at times it's kind of funny and it makes us cringe a little bit. But it, at the end of the day, like it really warms my heart because she is super confident and has no prize. I said to Ashley, like, I don't think my daughter would have any problem like farting in front of a guy and just thinking it was funny. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, whatever. Get over it, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like we we have these, you know, structures and culture where we're not supposed to talk about certain things, but it's not like they don't happen. Right. On on your mind and, and like people, that's one of the first things that when women get me alone will ask me, like, how do you deal with the period? Because yeah. I really asked, but I didn't want to ask in front of the, all these men in this crowd. But like, it, it's, it's on your mind. And like people ask me about like getting lonely too. They're like, don't you like miss a partner? And, and I'm like, yeah, that's real. Like we should yeah. talk about it, it happens. And yeah. you, know, you, how do you find love on the river? You know, how do you stay sane and, and be by yourself for that long? Like these are real things that people feel uncomfortable asking and but we need to talk about. Like, yeah. Well, and this, yeah. and frankly, this level of ambition almost requires a certain amount of, um, I wouldn't call it celibacy, but like there's a certain amount of, um, I don't know, selfishness, self-centeredness, you not, I mean, those are the wrong words because those are very negative, but your level of ambition in, in biting this off, the last thing you want is to fall in love with someone who then is like, maybe not on board or, you know, like he's on board day one, but then three years in is sort of like, uh, I'm not going to wait for you. Or now your heart's sick while you're out. You know, it's like, Right, you know, right. you really have to. There's a whole practical side to this that is like, don't fall in love, don't fall in love. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't fall in love. <laughs> well, I, right now I love the water. Like that's yeah. that's one relationship is just, is the water. But yeah, it's like that's something. Yeah, I did a presentation for a seventh grade class, uh, the the school that I grew up at. And, uh, and the kids were like, are you married? Do you have any kids? Like, do, do you have, what do you have a husband? You know, like they, they were okay asking those questions because yeah. they're in second grade. It was like, they're thinking about those things and, and I don't, it's, we should talk about it, yeah. you know, and on the ocean, it's going to be, you know, tremendously lonely. And I got, you know, there were, there were times I did actually the very first podcast I did when I got off the river, um, they were asking me about being lonely. And I said there was a time where I was sitting on the edge of my boat and docked on like a sandbar on an island in the middle of the river. And I was underneath a tree and I was just feeling I had just had a rough, I just needed a hug. You know, mm. like I didn't talk to someone on the phone, like I needed a hug, I needed a physical hug. And I was sitting there under a tree and this branch came and it started like caressing my head because the wind was blowing. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. Wow. It's so comforting me and then I was like oh my gosh I'm so lonely <laughs> like if that's bringing me <laughs> oh my god that is awesome <laughs> but real that's real that's how you feel out there you know <laughs> uh, that was your Wilson moment it was it was like, like the tree was, instead of me hugging the tree the tree was hugging me <laughs> was oh like, my oh. god <laughs> but I, I'll definitely have moments like that on the ocean where I'm really lonely and just want to be touched you know yeah. and loved and then but we feel like that in our lives anyway, right? I feel like. Yeah. 
things that happen to me out there happen to me here. So I might as well be doing something on the water. Maybe experiencing all those things anyway. It's a great perspective. And I mean, going back to that sort of like construction job type of thing, when you think about putting away your hammock or your tent or your stove or whatever, it's like, well, I mean, I spent an hour doing dishes this morning, made my bed, did all these other things, you know, I mean, it's like, you have to do those things anyway. Um, you know, they're like, it's unorthodox, but it's, if you break it down to the individual actions that you're performing in a day, they're very similar to what otherwise you would be do- doing in a quote unquote normal life. Right. You know? Right. And that I'm, that I'm traveling and I'm like, man, this sucks, which of co- every time I travel, there's a point where I'm like, what am I doing out here? This just, just uncomfortable is I, I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. And then I'm like, what's the alternative? Oh, okay. I'm okay. I'm okay being here. Yeah. You know? Um, the alternative is I would go into a normal life and still be feeling those things. And, you know, man, I got to, like say, I got to wash my dishes and do all these things. I'm doing all that anyway. Yeah. And so I'm water doing it. I'm, I, I have found like, I'm kind of addicted to that feeling of the first open water swim I ever did. I, I was literally like, what the hell am I doing? Like, why am I doing this? This is awful. And then once you break through that feeling, and either you get out of the water or your arms finally loosen up or whatever it is, but you finally get in that groove and you're like, okay, cool. You know, and like in the middle of a triathlon or something like I have found that I have, I am addicted to that in every race I've ever done. There's always a moment where I'm like, you're a freaking idiot. What are you doing? Like, it's, it's always like this. It's a, it's a masochism form of masochism yeah. for sure. Where you're, you, you know, you're just like torturing yourself and being uncomfortable and somewhere inside of you, just, just loving it. Yeah. It yeah. makes you feel alive or something. And we call it the reignition moment at Athlinks because there's invariably in in a moment in every single race where you are cursing yourself, whether it's a hundred feet from the finish line or a hundred feet into the start line. Like you're just this is dumb. I'm stupid. I'm an idiot. I hate doing this. I don't like feeling this way. And then every time you cross a finish line, you're like, when's my next race? When's my next expedition? Whatever it is, you know. <laughs> It, I've, I haven't had babies, um, but I hear um, like once you have a baby, you forget about the pain of having it and you just want to have another one. You know, it's like, don't you don't remember how bad, how much that hurt? And you're like, all I remember is that I love my baby. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So my wife says I, I, I won't uh, I won't attest <laughs> to it. But yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, in, in that and frankly, that that experience sort of goes so far beyond just the childbirth side of things. I mean with children, you're going to go through a lot of ups and downs and pain and all of that stuff. And, and you might have reignition moments when you're caring or even, even just like, uh, yesterday I was driving back from the airport and going to be caregiver. And I was like, wow, this is, this is, this is a rough time right now. Being caregiver is very draining. And, and I thought that, you know, I was like, well, if I was going for a run, you know, and I found, and I hit that wall where I'm like pushing myself. I'm like, this is what I'm doing. I need to just see it as a mental. I need to push myself through this. Like I'm doing something physical. Mm. And I, I just feel like the physical barriers when, when you're going for a run or going for a row and you're pushing past that, that point of pain is a really good lesson when you're doing it mentally. 100%. And there's physical going on, but you're feeling like you're, there's a reignition moment in your head that needs to happen. Or the mental. I think, you know, I think you nailed it. And I think that that's why these types of, again, whether it's 
5K, whatever your circumnavigation of the globe in a rowboat is, and for a lot of people, it's, it's something very simple. For some people, it might just be getting up and doing some public speaking or whatever it is. But you have to freaking do it. Like you, you're, you're simply, you're not, I don't think you're even human. You're certainly not living until you're doing it. You're just sort of, um, existing, existing. Yeah. yeah. Right. Your, your other, your options are either do what you're here for or be on your deathbed regretting every moment. Yeah. Like whenever a decision and I'm like, you know, should I take that person up on that offer and go do this thing? Or, or maybe it, like, it's kind of a scary thing, like jumping off of a high cliff into the water. I'm scared of heights. I always, there's a split second where I go, okay, what am I going to remember more? Am I going to remember, uh, I'm going to remember taking that leap. Am I going to remember, you know, maybe not calling in sick that day was not, I'm a bad influence. Don't call in sick, but you know, what am I going to remember going on that one trip or am I going to remember going to work that day when I'm on my deathbed? I remember going on that trip. Have you, have you, um, do you have any big regrets like that trip you didn't take the thing you didn't do? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Actually, uh, I was just talking to a friend a day about an expedition that I passed up, um, where, uh, there were some friends of mine that were going from, so there's a guy called, his name is Neil Moore and he's paddling. He's been on paddling for 12 months now. You should interview him. Okay. His uh, 22 rivers in 22 months. And he started in Oregon and now he's on the Gulf coast and he's headed, uh, I think to, to like New York. I, I'm not really sure. You should ask him, okay. but in Gulf coast and I got invited to go paddle with him for like two weeks. And I, I declined because I like, I was just had so many obligations and I, I regret declining it, but I, I don't know if it was the right decision. Yeah. It's tough to know. Would have remembered that more, you know? So tough to know. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So quick question. And this is, this is, um, this is a weird question. Um, like when you, I don't know, what do you want to call it? Fate or destiny or this tapestry of life and um, so fast forward, I guess, well, whether you succeed or fail in the, in the, in your next expedition, because you're going to succeed at something. I mean, you're going to whatever. I mean, that, that's the, the tough thing of this like circumnavigation of the globe. If you make it 99% of the way and then something happens, like, you can't, that's not a failure, right? I mean, that's, you still did all these other things. But being the first to do a lot of these things, or even just, you know, lighting your own fire, and again, this destiny side of things, your brother seems like he was a pretty exceptional guy in terms of just the adventures that he lived and, and the way that he lived his life. Um, and I, I've started speaking without really thinking about how I'm going to sort of uh, shoot this gap and, 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 and present this, but with Patrick dying, being this kind of catalyst for all of these things that, that you've been able to do, like, do you look at this as, as like an homage to him? Do you see it as, as a destiny? Do you see it interconnected at all? Like in, in my mind, it's almost like, um, like none of our lives are just individual. Right. And, and certain things happen for other reasons, big and small. And I don't think that the life we're living on this earth is just 
isolated. I think there are many lives beyond this and, you know, before it and after. And do you ever think, like, philosophize about, like, Patrick in some way gave his life in order for these bigger things in the world to happen? I thought a lot about that. I know exactly what you're getting at. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, like I was saying earlier in this interview, I used to not, I used to not believe in coincidences or I, I used to think that things just happened and it was random and, you know, just, just, just happens. There's nothing to do. And then I've st started to just look around me and notice that, that there's, that things are too, the stars align too well sometimes. Mm. And someone says something, just you need to hear at that exact time, right? Or you saw something or you heard something and that was like a sign. And there's just, I think that there's so much going on that's invisible. That's like kind of shepherding people, showing them the way. And I've thought like if, if Patrick didn't die, I would probably be married with kids. I don't know. Or, you know, in Hollywood doing that or, or failing in Hollywood. Or I, I don't know what my life would have been, but... I can't imagine it would have been better than what it is now. And it feels, and there was a time it, it took me a while to get to that point because then it makes you feel like, Oh, the best thing that ever happened was a death. You know, that, that sounds really awful to say, but I felt that. And I was like that once I sort of found the path of grief and, and I mean, it's not to say like, I would, I would give everything I have now having back. Like that's, it's not saying like, I don't want him here. It's saying that because that happened, I found something and I made it's, it's like making something good of a bad thing. Yeah. You know, a bad thing happens. How are you going to react to it? Are you going to let it ruin your life too? Or are you going to let it enrich your life? Yeah. Well yeah. said. Yeah. Feel that way. And I, and I, I think he does too. Got it. Well, we normally do a little, um, 10 question dash. You want to answer some questions and uh, let, uh, let the listeners know a little bit more about you. I haven't been answering questions this whole time. <laughs> These are very specific questions. I try not to ask too many questions. I try to no. just more let it be a conversation. No, no, I'm game. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. All right, here we go. I need my theme music here. I always hit the wrong buttons here, but uh, okay. Um, what is your gear looking like? Like what, uh, um, I don't know, like who makes your boat? Uh, my gear looks really worn. <laughs> um, my, are you talking about Ocean Robo? Yeah, like what uh, what brands are you repping, or do you have anybody that like just go to stuff? Like I know the like your camping stove, your forty dollars camping stove, which I'm gonna have to pick one of those up. Sounded pretty good. So I'm I'm not sponsored by anybody right now, so any names I mention right now, way to go. Okay, unfettered by capitalism completely. So I, my, I think my music cut you off. So finish that oh, thought again. Um, uh, so I'm not sponsored by anyone right now. So this is all coming straight from the heart. The Trangia Camp Stove. I cannot recommend that stove enough. It's it's built in Switzerland. It runs off of denatured alcohol, which you can find like anywhere. You you can just get ninety percent at the pharmacy, and it's packed down like a nesting doll system. You don't have to mess with those little propane tanks. You get the wow. camp stove. That's, that's, that is actually probably one of my most loved little pieces of gear. I've taken it down every expedition I had. Cool. Love it. All right. We'll keep an eye out for that one. Um, so we know what your next uh, adventure is. Is that your next adventure? Is there something over the next 14 months that, like, how do you stay in shape and stuff? What do you, what is your training looking like? Yeah. So I'm training for the MR340, the Missouri River 340, which is a 340 mile canoe kayak race from Kansas City to St. Louis. 
And then after that, and that's going to be end of July. And then in October, I'm also doing the tour to Tesh, which is a three mile race down the Bayou Tesh. Savage. Bam. All right. Love it. Do you have like a favorite sports movie or book that uh, inspires you? Sports related? Yeah. Or maybe not sports related, but something that's sort of like when you're, when you need, uh, when you need a little like uh, Rocky theme music in your head like that you go, go for. Oh, oh, pass. Pass, all right. I'll give you some kettlebell. What's your, um, this is normally what's your favorite race, but like what has been your favorite of all of your expeditions so far? Are they like children? Can you not pick a favorite? Um, I, I, the Missouri River will always be my first love. Okay, very good. Very nice. What is that? Uh, well, again, this is like what's your bucket list race, but I think your bucket list is a circumnavigation in a rowboat, right? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yes. Do you have any like crazy like dry land stuff? Like, do you want to do Everest, or do you want to like? Are there anything on on dry land that that you see as maybe once you once you successfully complete this expedition? Um, no Everesting because I'm scared of heights. Mm. <laughs> so maybe that'll be the next fear that I face. I was gonna say all the more reason to do Everest. I guess I hate the cold. I really hate the cold. So that to me. Back in the ocean and I want to keep going, maybe uh, that'd be kind of cool to flip-flop. I go all the way from sea level to the highest point, maybe. I got plenty of time to think about it. Yeah, on a unicycle, probably. <laughs> all right. Uh, do you listen to music and stuff while you're out on the... I sing. You sing? Because no one's around to listen to my bad singing. Okay, what is your, uh, what's your home stretch finish line song you like to sing when you need, uh, really... Um, there's a river song that I have, uh, it's about the Missouri river. Um, oh gosh, I sing that at the top of my lungs. <laughs> I can't remember how it goes. Um, did you make it up or is it a, or is it like a folk song? song. Um, it's called the river of the big canoe. All right. Very good. Okay. What's your, uh, and maybe this is the same answer, but what's your, what's the most embarrassing song or uh, band on the, on your mental playlist? Uh, Are you out there belt, belting out like some Justin Timberlake or something? <laughs> um, no, gosh, I don't know if it's embarrassing, but I, I sing a lot of John Prine. Okay. Very good. No, it's not embarrassing. We'll give you that one. Okay. Um, do you have like a, a, a pre-expedition ritual or superstition or something like a, that you have to start or end your days with? Are you a superstitious person in that regard? Um, I mean, I don't know about superstitious, but I do have rituals that I do every morning and every evening I wave to the sun. I go, oh. I wave to it. And if anyone catches me doing that, they're like, who are you waving to? And I'm like, the sun. Beautiful. Sort of like an aloha, hello, and goodbye. Yeah. Uh, living or dead, who would you most like to share a long adventure with? Uh, my brother Patrick would be the only one who could do this trip with me. And I asked my brother David if he wanted to come and he said, no way. <laughs> <laughs> he just knows his own limitations or, uh, yeah, he's yeah. like, I'll support you. I'll be your ground crew. I'm like, cool. I need one of those anyway. <laughs> Perfect. All right, Ellen, final question. What is the secret? Huh. I'll use um, Mary Oliver's word. My, this, this is kind of what I live my life by. She has a poem, and it goes like this. Instructions for living a life. Pay attention. 
Be astonished. Tell about it. That was beautiful. That was cool. I'm gonna look that up. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. Well, okay, so we're gonna get into some of the um, just the last little housekeeping here. So you are gonna just go reach right out there so you're looking for sponsors you're looking for you got this really cool um thing i'm looking at your website which is ellen magellan swag well the, the website itself is ellen magellan dot, no no it's not ellen magellan expeditions.com yeah sorry i've yeah, got this, all my windows open here yeah the swag site is just because it's online purchasing yep. so i had to for it so when uh, you go over there, you can buy these really cool, well, you describe it. So this is this, I love this idea. Oh, so the boat stickers. Um, so I got the idea because I saw other ocean rowers would people put people's names on the boat. And I was like, that'd be cool. People someone put their name. I'm like, but what if they want to put like, not if they want to put like a photo or even better, like a drawing or a painting or a sketch or, or something like that. And so I had the idea to sell these stickers and they're customizable. You could put whatever you want on them. Literally anything you want, you could put on the sticker and that image will be on the boat. And so when I pull in the port, you, you, it's basically like a little piece of whatever image you want to show the world is going to go around the world. Very and that's cool. good um, for like a small business who might not be able to afford to be a corporate sponsor. You can, a small business can get their logo on the boat at an affordable price without doing all the corporate sponsor stuff. Yeah, if you were thinking about sponsoring a little league team out there this year, definitely throw a sticker on Ellen's uh, kick-ass. Um, it's Eve, right? Yeah, that's the name of the boat. Yeah, name of the boat, named after your grandmother. <laughs> yeah, and I'm really excited about the boat stickers because I, I can't wait to see what people put. I've sold four stickers so far. Cool. And so far I had uh, a person who has a tail dragger business, airplane business, and he's going to put his logo on there. Um, some of my dad's friends got together and put a really embarrassing picture of my dad on there, nice. <laughs> which is the best. And then uh, two people haven't gotten back to me with their designs yet, but I'm excited. That is awesome. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, who knows what people are going to put. And it's kind of like a historical trip, you know? It's like to say that, oh, I have a, I have a sticker on that boat that like did that thing. It's awesome. That's yeah, that's awesome. I hope that you end up having to like sand parts of the boat off because you have to put more stickers on and you're just like having to <laughs> reconfigure and stuff. You get so much support. So I, Oh, you know, man. Yeah. I hope... I'm really excited. Like um, corporate sponsors are going to be great to have like a good relationship with a company, but the the stickers is like the grassroots approach. Yeah. Well, let's let's make sure that funding is not a reason for uh, for anything other than success on this adventure. So again, um, ellenmagellanexpeditions.com. You are. Um, let's talk about Instagram. You are. Are you Ellen Magellan? Uh, yeah, Ellen Magellan Expeditions on Instagram too. Okay, same thing on Instagram, <laughs> etc. So. Definitely reach out there. Yep. That's Any, where you found That is where I found you. Yeah. Anything else you want to leave the, um, the listening audience with? Any words of wisdom or? Um, uh, I'm a solo traveler and this is a human powered boat, but I'm not the only human powering this boat. Love it. Yeah. That's great. You're always so philosophical and everything. <laughs> had a lot of time to think about stuff. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's funny. Like the things that, um, I was talking to Jamil, um, Corey, who's like a, you know, big time ultra runner and just about like, you know, he does these big hundred and 200 mile efforts and he did Barkley and, and all these other things. And it's like, I don't know how you go back to just a normal 
life once you start doing these big efforts. And again, these are like compared to what you're doing are, are smaller efforts, but still just like when you're in your own head for eight, 10, 12 hours, 24 hours, 48 hours, and you're just really, you're given, we, we are given no time to really think in life anymore. I think the amount of social media, media, just life in general that is constantly bombarding us. It's really difficult to reconnect with oneself. So um, thanks for showing us the way. Well, that's, thank you. You helped me a lot too, actually, and some of the things you said. Oh, well, that's good. I'm glad I could help. But no, I really, and from the bottom of my heart, yeah, I mean, you had no intention of doing it, but you did inspire me to sign up for my first 50 and solve these problems. So I will report back uh, throughout my journey. So. Uh, Awesome. I'm going to definitely run with the three D's of my interpretation for my Venture Summit presentation. Now that you told me it, it had an effect on you. Yours is better, honestly, because I wouldn't have done it the other way around. I would have kept trying to solve the problem before I committed. And I think you're absolutely right. Like you have to commit the problems. Again, even if I make it 30 miles in and have to walk 20 miles, like I won't, I won't consider that a failure. You know, it, it's then for the next time to walk 40 miles or run 40 and walk 10 or whatever it ends up being for me. But I think I'll be able to run it all. So we'll see. You made the decision. I did. It's going to happen. That's right. the most important one. Step two is the most important because we all have desires. That's the easy part. Right. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I really appreciate it. It's a little bit off of our beaten path on Athlinks, but uh, I think it's a great story. I really wanted to support you. And uh, I just think um, I'm glad you're in the world. Well, thank, thank you very much. Um, I see you too. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Well, everybody, that is the show. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. More people racing more often, having more fun or having more expeditions in the process is our mission at Athlinks. Thanks again to Ellen Falterman, aka Ellen Magellan. We do a special post for each episode on Instagram. So look for the post for episode 32 with a pic of Ellen. And uh, we'll try to we'll try to include Eve in the uh, in the picture if there is a such a picture that exists. Um, if you have any comments or questions, we are at Athlinks or shoot us an email to podcast at athlinks.com. Best way to support the podcast is to click subscribe on iTunes or follow on Spotify to be notified of new shows. Share it far and wide with anyone you think would enjoy it. And please take a second to give us a quick rating and a review on iTunes. And until next time, happy racing, everybody.